This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I believed he was going to rape me. I'm innocent. There's a moment in the hearing in which Senator Flake walks by essentially taps on your shoulder and the two of you walk out. And I followed Jeff into the ante room and he said, this is tearing our country apart. We have to do something. But that's my position. I, I Senator Flake, you've announced that you're not running for re-election and I wonder, could you have done this if you were running for no. re-election? <laughs> no, <laughs> not a chance. Tonight, the two senators who struck the deal tell the story of an unexpected compromise. Last year, more Americans died of drug overdoses than in the entire Vietnam War. Who is responsible for the opioid epidemic affecting almost every community? Big Pharma or the doctors prescribing the pills? Tonight, an investigation into both, beginning with this doctor we found in a state prison. I see myself as a healer. Doctor, you prescribed a thousand opioid pills to a pregnant woman. I would like to stop. I'm Steve Croft. I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Scott Pelley. I'm Anderson Cooper. I'm Sharon Alfonsi. I'm Bill Whitaker. Those stories tonight on the 51st season premiere of 60 Minutes. What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love. Pacific Life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones. 
Plans change over time, and your financial solutions can too. Pacific Life has a variety of financial solutions that can help you complement your life goals and passions while managing the uncertainties. Backed by more than 150 years of experience, you can count on Pacific Life to be there so you can go out and keep living your best life. Pacific Life is one of the most dependable and experienced insurers in the industry and has been named one of the 2019 world's most ethical companies by the Ethisphere Institute. The freedom to go after whatever is next for you? That's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love. Or visit www.pacificlife.com. Millions of Americans couldn't turn away from a political spectacle that no one wanted to see. Last week, the United States Senate was riven by fury over the Supreme Court nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. In the hearing room, two great forces dominating our society collided. The Me Too movement against sexual harassment and violence and hyper-partisan politics. Friday, as the Senate descended into chaos, one Republican and one Democrat found a way forward with an old technique that seemed long forgotten, compromise. Tonight, in their first interview since the vote, those senators, Republican Jeff Flake of Arizona and Democrat Chris Coons of Delaware, sit down with us. It was Republican Flake who forced his party to accept a one-week FBI investigation into the assault allegations against Judge Kavanaugh. I don't think anybody expected, uh, um, you know, what happened on Friday to happen. And uh, I can't say that I did either. I just knew that uh, we couldn't move forward, that I couldn't move forward without hitting the pause button. Um, because uh, what uh, I was seeing, experiencing in an elevator and watching it in committee and just thinking this is ripping our country apart. Senator, what are you doing, sir? What happened in the elevator? <laughs> um, people felt very strongly about uh, the hearings and what was going on. What you are doing is allowing someone who actually violated a woman to sit in the Supreme Court. This is not tolerable. Flake had just announced that he would vote for Kavanaugh. The people who felt so strongly were activists Anna Maria Archila and Maria Gallagher, who told Flake they were survivors of sexual assault. Look at me and tell me that it doesn't matter what happened to me. They were clearly uh, passionate and uh, determined that I hear them. I believed he was going to rape me. I tried to yell for help. What the Senate Judiciary Committee heard Thursday upended Kavanaugh's nomination. This is what terrified me the most and has had the most lasting impact on my life. It was hard for me to breathe, and I thought that Brett was accidentally going to kill me. Dr. Christine Blasey Ford testified that Kavanaugh sexually assaulted her when they were in high school. With what degree of certainty do you believe Brett Kavanaugh assaulted you? 100%. Democrat Chris Coons and Republican Jeff Flake listened from opposite ends of the dais, separated by party. But in truth, they were much closer. They had struck up a friendship over the years that bridged mere politics. As you're sitting there listening to Dr. Ford, 
What are you hearing? What are you thinking? Uh, I'm hearing um, a, a very smart, um, anguished person who did not want to be testifying in front of us. And meanwhile, my phone is just blowing up. It was stunning. The number of people I heard from during the hearing, uh, that, that mm. it, was, it was almost hard to know which to listen to more because the things coming in were so striking. And they were saying what? Um, you've known me um, a very long time, and I was raped as a child, and I've never told anyone before right now, and I'm sharing it with you. There's a, another stream of testimony coming into you yeah. at the same time. In, in, in the case of the folks I'm referring to, powerful testimony from people I know and trust who had never shared these stories with me before. It was just that palpable feeling of this is, this is history. And uh, she was compelling, just extremely compelling. I think everybody uh, said that on both sides. You did or did not believe her? And then, well, I mean, how could you not? Uh, she certainly believes, she certainly experienced something. Mm -hmm. Wasn't uh, Brett Kavanaugh? He says, I'm sure she experienced something, but it wasn't me. This whole two-week effort has been a calculated and orchestrated political hit. Revenge on behalf of the Clintons and millions of dollars in money from outside left-wing opposition groups. I'd like to ask both of you what you made of Judge Kavanaugh's very emotional response and what it may or may not say about his judicial temperament. Does this man belong on the Supreme Court? He, he had exchanges with Senator Feinstein, with Senator Klobuchar, with others that uh, I thought went over a line. Um, he was clearly belligerent, um, aggressive, angry. Made you wonder about his suitability? In my case, yes. But Senator Flake, you identified with it. You, you understood. Well, I, it seemed partisan, but, uh, but boy, I had to put myself in that spot. And, uh, and you, can, you can understand why he was angry. And... Uh, you know, I think you give a little leeway there. When Judge Kavanaugh came out swinging, what was that moment like for you? The Judiciary Committee's Democrats include Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island and Maisie Hirono of Hawaii. One of the most astounding things that Judge Kavanaugh did was to blame the Democrats for some kind of a conspiracy that went on, that we have been plotting all of this, although thank goodness that he acknowledged that, that Dr. Ford was not a part of that conspiracy, that she had no political motive. It was really quite astonishing how the tone in the room changed when Judge Kavanaugh came out explosively confrontational. This confirmation process has become a national disgrace. What you want to do is destroy this guy's life. And then Lindsey Graham burst out. You said that. And just went on his own explosive statement. This is going to destroy the ability of good people to come forward because of this crap. We're not just entirely logical people. There are animal spirits in humans, and that's true in senators. This man is not a monster. And so when somebody goes into the breach in full-on battle mode, if they're not making a fool of themselves, it's a rallying point. And I think you saw that happen in the room. To my Republican colleagues. Lindsay rallied the Republicans. If you vote no, you're legitimizing the most despicable thing I have seen in my time in politics. The committee's Republican majority includes Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, 
and John Kennedy of Louisiana. She said it was Brett Kavanaugh 100%. She did, and I, and I believe she is sincere. Nobody is going to ever figure out what happened. They're not. Something happened to her, and something very, very bad happened to her, and I'm very, very sorry. But, but they both said 100%. She said it happened. Judge Kavanaugh said it didn't. 100%. So what do you do? Senator Graham worries that the Senate's constitutional role of advice and consent is no longer about the nominee. It's about the careers of the senators. The politics of voting for Supreme Court nominees are now about you. It's not about the nominee. It's not about the law. It's about how does it affect you. And you can't blame the Democratic Party for that. Both of us got here. And I don't know if we'll ever get out, but I do not. I don't want to go where we're headed. Democrat Chris Coons saw the testimony wearing on his friend, Republican Jeff Flake, and hoped to convince his colleague to compromise on Kavanaugh. I was outside the hearing room probably about the same time he was having that conversation in the elevator. And a reporter showed me that Jeff had announced he was going to vote for Kavanaugh. And I was very upset. I mean, hugely distraught by that because I, I was still hoping there might be some moment here. Despite Flake's announced support of Kavanaugh, Coons tried to offer a compromise, the week-long investigation to be led by the FBI. And I have conveyed to my friends and colleagues that I had wished we would take a one-week pause, one week only. When you were making that compromise proposal, you were lobbying your friend, yes, Senator Flake. You, you didn't expect to change the minds of other Republicans. You were trying to change one mind. I was principally concerned about helping my friend um, listen to his doubts and his conscience. Changing one mind was enough because with the Senate divided so narrowly, the Republicans could hardly afford to lose Flake. And I, I cannot tell you how grateful I am. Um, Jeff's the hero here. He's the person who um, wanted a moment just to, just to, you know, go over... What are the legitimate concerns and grievances by Republicans on the committee about the process and the complaints and how we got here? The dynamic After Democratic Senator Coons floated his compromise, Republican Jeff Flake stood up and walked from the Republican side of the dais to the Democratic. Senator Coons, there's a moment in the hearing in which Senator Flake walks by, essentially taps on your shoulder, and the two of you walk out. What happened? when you walked out of the room. I followed Jeff into the ante room, uh, and he said very intently, this is tearing our country apart. We have to do something. And eventually, we literally had the whole, the whole committee yeah. crammed into this tiny little hallway. And my recollection was Jeff at one point says, okay, I want to talk to Chris. And we went into literally a phone booth that was like this big. We're literally <laughs> squeezed into a phone booth that we can barely fit in talking to another senator, and there's this whole committee right outside. Uh, it, it was a really Looking in. So looking in, <laughs> looking really in on the phone booth, wondering <laughs> yes. what's going on. Yeah, in literally. It was yeah. quite a moment. Senator Flake, you've announced that you're not running for re-election, and I wonder, could you have done this if you were running for no. re-election? <laughs> no. no. Not a chance. Not a chance. No. No. Because politics has become too sharp? To partisan. Yeah, there's no value to reaching across the aisle. There's no currency for that anymore. There's no incentive. 
The Senate Judiciary Committee says the FBI will look into current and credible allegations. One witness who did not appear before the committee is Kavanaugh's teenage friend, Mark Judge, who Ford said was in the room during the alleged assault. And he has indicated, apparently, that he's ready to cooperate. But what he said in his letter to the committee was that he just couldn't remember. Well, uh, the FBI, during the investigation, will ask questions that maybe will prompt uh, things. Or there was, I think Dr. Ford mentioned there was somebody that she couldn't remember the name of. Uh, It's possible that one of the others they interview say, well, no, this was a name. And it will lead to additional interviews that can be taken place as well. Friday, the Judiciary Committee passed Kavanaugh's nomination to the full Senate. In a week, the FBI investigation is expected to be given to all 100 senators, and a vote is likely to be scheduled soon after. What are the chances that we are going to be in exactly this same place a week from now? There's a chance, and we knew that, and and some of our colleagues said that. We'll be back here one week from now. It'll be worse. There'll be other outrageous allegations that come forward. The FBI will talk to people that won't want to talk anymore. Uh, We won't be any better off. Um, There is a chance that that will happen. I I do think that we can make progress. I think we'll be in a different place because lots of survivors around the country uh, will feel that um, Dr. Ford's story was heard and respected and further investigated. Um, We may well be in a different place a week from now because Judge Kavanaugh and his family may well have had exculpatory evidence brought forward. If Judge Kavanaugh is shown to have lied to the committee, nomination's over? Oh, yes. I would think so. In the annals of 60 Minutes we have rarely come across a doctor like Florida physician Barry Schultz. Prosecutors say he wantonly prescribed and sold massive quantities of highly addictive opioids. In July, Schultz was sentenced to 157 years for his role in fueling the most devastating public health crisis of the 21st century. Last year, more Americans died of drug overdoses than in the entire Vietnam War. While Schultz ended up in jail, Mallinckrodt, the pharmaceutical company that flooded Florida with hundreds of millions of oxycodone pills, paid a relatively small penalty. The question now being debated in Congress and in federal court is, who is responsible for the opioid epidemic? The doctors who prescribed the pills or the opioid manufacturers and distributors who supplied them? Dr. Barry Schultz is an inmate at Florida State Prison, where he will likely be incarcerated until the day he dies. In this, his only interview, Schultz said he wanted to go on camera to explain that he has been singled out unfairly. I'm a scapegoat. You're a scapegoat. I mean, I was one of hundreds of doctors that were prescribing medication for chronic pain. The prosecutor called you a killer. I see myself as a healer. In my mind, what I was doing was legitimate. In the early 2000s, Schultz was a pioneer on the Wild West frontier of pain treatment. Doctors, drug dealers, opioid users, and abusers were flocking to Florida, where powerful pain pills were being prescribed and dispensed by a new type of business, pain clinics. We had more pain clinics in the years 2010 and 2011 than we had McDonald's in those years. 
there was one street in Broward County, Oakland Park Boulevard, that had 31 different pain clinics on the one street. Florida State Attorney Dave Arenberg's office prosecuted Barry Schultz. He told us pain clinics were loosely regulated medical offices where patients could pick up pills, usually for cash, few questions asked. You could get the prescription and get the drug right there on the spot, one-stop shopping. People would race down to Florida because we didn't have the same controls as other states. We fed the entire nation's addiction. This mob scene, shot on a cell phone in 2009, is inside a Florida pain clinic. Dozens of patients waiting to get their opioids. Schultz operated a clinic like this in Delray Beach, where he treated thousands of patients. How would you describe Dr. Barry Schultz? He was one of the most notorious drug dealers we had. He prescribed in egregious amount of pills to his patients. The numbers would shock the conscience. DEA records show in 2010, one patient of Dr. Schultz was prescribed nearly 17,000 of the highest potency oxycodone pills in a seven-month period. Another got more than 23,000 over eight months. That's more than 100 pills a day. Business was so good, Schultz was making more than $6,000 a day prescribing and selling opioids to his patients. The numbers of pills that you were prescribing are astronomical. Who takes that many pills and puts them into their body? Pills. What were you thinking? I was thinking that the patient was a genuine patient who had real chronic pain, whose complaints were legitimate, and that I was prescribing medication that they needed. Doctor, you prescribed a thousand opioid pills to a pregnant woman. I don't think most doctors would prescribe a thousand aspirin to a pregnant woman. I would like to stop. Would just like you to explain your your thinking. I would like to stop. Okay. This is not expect the way I expected it. Okay. It's, I believe it's unfair. What what is what is unfair, doctor? I'm just uncomfortable with with these these charged questions. These are questions that people have. This is why you're sitting here wearing this jumpsuit. This Ultimately, he agreed to continue. He claimed some of his patients needed extremely high doses of opioids for long periods of time to alleviate severe persistent pain. And when I started treating people with chronic non-cancer pain, I felt it was unethical and discriminatory to limit the dose of medication. And if I had known that the overdose incidence had increased dramatically the way it had, I would have moderated my approach. Doctor, how could you have not known? All you had to do was pick up the paper. In 2009, more than 2,900 people died in Florida of drug overdoses, mostly from prescribed opioid pills. In one 16-month period, DEA records show Barry Schultz dispensed 800,000 opioid pills from his office pharmacy. People have become addicted to these drugs. People have died okay. because of these drugs. People in your practice died from overdoses of opioids. A person. One is enough. That monster ended my son's life.
Carol Tain's son, David, went to Dr. Schultz for pain management after a car accident. Schultz prescribed an assortment of pain pills, even after David became addicted. In 2010, David died of an overdose of opioids prescribed by Dr. Schultz. So should Dr. Schultz have prescribed these pain pills to him? No. He didn't even examine him. He hadn't seen him in four and a half years. He just just wrote, wrote out these scripts. As far as I'm concerned, he's a murderer and, and not a doctor. He murdered my son. As he, could, he didn't need a gun. He used his pen to murder my son. Schultz says he was inspired to prescribe high doses of opioids after attending a lecture by this man, Dr. Russell Portnoy, who was the influential president of the American Pain Society. Portnoy traveled around the country giving lectures and made promotional videos like this one in 2000, touting opioids as wonder drugs, urging doctors to use them aggressively to relieve pain. The likelihood that the treatment of pain using an opioid drug, which is prescribed by a doctor, will lead to addiction is extremely low. But 10 years later, as opioid addiction exploded, Dr. Portnoy said he had been part of a broad campaign funded by pharmaceutical companies to encourage the widespread use of opioids. I gave innumerable lectures in the late 1980s and 1990s in which I said things about addiction that weren't true. He said he believed at the time he was operating in good faith and was not unduly influenced by the pharmaceutical industry. Still, he has been named in dozens of lawsuits. Dr. Russell Portnoy, he was paid by the drug companies and has said that there is no proof that these that high doses of opioids are effective in treating chronic pain. That may be true. But there's it is true. So there's no science to back up what you were doing. There's, there's only anecdotal information. I guess what I find troubling is your lack of acceptance that what you did was wrong. I don't believe it was wrong. When you're giving somebody 60 oxycodone a day, how could they not abuse it? 60 a day is a large number, I admit. That's a very large number. But if it's taken properly, how can you take 60 oxycodone a day properly? Some people need that dose. There is no scientific evidence to support that claim. With so many opioids prescribed by Schultz and other unscrupulous doctors, pills started flowing into the streets and resold for profit, what the DEA calls diversion. 66% of all the oxycodone in Florida came from just one company, Malincrot one of the country's largest opioid suppliers. Florida State Attorney Arenberg told us between 2008 and 2012, the company flooded the state with pain pills. Malacroft sent 500 million oxycodone pills to the state of Florida, a state with a population of 20 million people. We're talking about enough pills to give every resident of Florida 25 oxycodone pills. How is that possible? I mean, you're talking about enough pills to create an entire state of addicts. Internal Justice Department documents obtained by 60 Minutes reveal that, quote, 
Mallinckrodt's own data on Barry Schultz indicated that he was purchasing large amounts of oxycodone in a suspicious pattern, indicating diversion. Yet, the company kept shipping the drugs to the distributor it knew was supplying Schultz. The company's behavior was so flagrant, it triggered a DEA investigation led by Jim Rafalski. So what role does Mallinckrodt play in this opioid crisis? They're responsible. They are responsible. It, especially for the conduct in Florida. That's a big statement. How can you not be responsible? How can you walk away from 500 million pills to a geographic area like the size of Florida? And knowing at the time this was occurring, there was an opioid crisis there. That wasn't a secret. Rafalski, now an expert witness for states and municipalities suing drug companies, told us his team identified almost 44,000 orders Mallinckrodt should have reported as suspicious, which the government says the company is required to do by law. Rafalski says Mallinckrodt reported none. But when DEA investigators handed their evidence to the Justice Department, government lawyers, fearing a long, uncertain legal battle, decided not to pursue the case in court, but to settle instead. If you'd have gone after Mallinckrodt for everything you saw them doing, what would the fine have been? $2.4 billion. And the actual fine was? $35 million. The penalty amounted to less than one week of the company's annual revenue. Mallinckrodt declined to do an on-camera interview, but told us it never sold oxycodone directly to Dr. Schultz, only to distributors. In a press release, the company denied it violated any applicable laws, but said going forward, it would analyze all internal data and identify suspicious sales. Both the Trump and Obama administrations have sent hundreds of doctors to jail for their roles in the opioid crisis. So far, not one executive of an opioid manufacturer or distributor has been sentenced to a single day in jail. Now call to order. Uh, but now the pharmaceutical industry is coming under scrutiny. In May, a congressional committee called the heads of the five leading drug distributors, the middlemen that ship the pain pills from manufacturers like Mallinckrodt to drugstores around the country. Mississippi Congressman Greg Harper asked if they were complicit in causing the drug crisis. Do you believe that the actions that you or your company took contributed to the opioid epidemic? Mr. Barrett. No, sir, I do not believe that we contributed to the opioid crisis. Dr. Mastandria. Yes. Only one of the five said yes. Now, this House committee has launched an investigation into Mallinckrodt and other drug manufacturers. The Justice Department has formed a task force targeting opioid manufacturers and distributors. And you were convicted of 55 counts of drug trafficking. As for Barry Schultz, shortly after our interview, he received a final sentence, 157 years, the longest sentence of anyone so far in this opioid crisis. I'm Bill Whitaker. We'll be back next week with another brand new edition of 60 Minutes. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, 
were exposed as frauds, but none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Are you a fan of 60 Minutes? You can represent the most watched series on television with shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, and more at ParamountShop.com. You can take 20% off with code MINUTES20. That's 20% off at checkout on all 60 Minutes products with code MINUTES20 at ParamountShop.com. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. 